Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Queers, a podcast about politics and culture with Simon Copland and Benjamin Riley. It's the 8th of February 2017. I'm Simon Copland. And I'm Benjamin Riley. Welcome to Queers. Each episode we talk our way through questions on a theme, and this week we're talking about respectability politics. But before we jump into the topic, we just wanted to let people know that we have finally done something that we probably should have done ages ago, or when we first started the podcast, which is set up an email address that people can get in touch with us at. We were just having a chat before we started recording that. Um, I, you know, we, we obviously give our contact details um, as in, in terms of our Twitter accounts at the end of every episode, but uh, obviously not everyone has Twitter, and... Uh, I can see how potentially people might feel a bit uncomfortable getting in touch with us in a public forum like that. So you can now get in touch with us uh, via our new brand new email address, which is queerspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, we'd really like it if you got in touch and um, gave us ideas or told us what you think or, you know, if you have any feedback about anything that we're doing, we'd really love to hear from you. Yeah, so we're not... 100% 100% sure what we're going to do with the email address in the long term. I mean, we've talked on here before about wanting to incorporate more sort of um, a conversation with our listeners into the podcast. So so that will hopefully eventually become a, a way of doing that. But at the moment, yeah, it would be great to just uh, hear people's thoughts and questions and comments and all of that stuff. Yep. Yep. That's, yeah, that sounds great. Um, shall, we, shall we get on with this episode though? Yeah. So we... We're talking about respectability politics today, and we kind of got thinking about this topic after I uh, recently watched the music video for a pop song called House of Air by Australian musician Brendan McLean. The video is very sexually explicit, and while I would say it's had a really positive critical response, it's also had some pretty strong negative reactions uh, and those reactions have arguably arguably been rooted in respectability politics. So respectability politics usually refers to a practice in identity-based political movements of achieving political gains by proving to our political and social majority that members of the marginalised group are deserving of those gains because we are just like you. Uh, this is particularly vis- visible in advocacy around marriage, um, and in fact, some would argue the issue of marriage equality itself is a perfect example of respectability politics. What tends to happen in respectability politics is that the most, quote, socially acceptable people from a given group are put forward as a kind of, as kind of exemplars, a symbol to help win political gains, while others 
including often the most marginalised members of a group, are hidden from sight. This is perhaps due to an implicit fear that society will reject the group as a whole if they are frightened off by the group's less respectable members. Uh, we also just wanted to put a warning here that we are probably going to be talking about some more um, sexually explicit subject matter than we usually would on queers. So just bear that in mind as we as we go forward. So let's jump right into it. Simon, you hadn't heard about this video until I sent it to you. I think your first response was, is it safe enough for me to watch in the library? And I was like, oh, maybe maybe not definitely not definitely not uh it's got some pretty extreme reactions and uh something that people sort of predicted as soon as the video was released and very quickly happened was like those reaction videos on on youtube which are quite uh funny um so maybe the best way to get into it is for you to have a go at describing what this video clip actually is yeah so i think maybe in some ways the best uh way to describe it is to take some stuff from brendan himself um who uh, actually wrote about this in the guardian um just yesterday so this is kind of um uh, valuable um so so it's uh, he he calls it a light-hearted extremely explicit look at the world of gay semiotics so um the video is kind of a um, uh, it looks like it's uh, filmed in probably the like a, an 80s porn shoot or 80s or 90s porn shoot, I would suggest. Maybe even going back to the 70s, really old school sort of um, gay characters. And it goes through the semiotics of the hanky code. And so uh, the hanky code, for people who don't know, was a, a code that gay men used um, where you would um, have particular... Um, hankies uh, sort of um, uh, tucked into your pants or to your shirts that would identify uh, particular sexual practices that you are searching for. Um, so one colour hanky, uh, I'm going to get my hanky colours wrong. Uh, <laughs> so very, I think it's it was, very elaborate. Yeah, so uh, I think system. a blue hanky meant that you were looking for uh, anal sex um, and on the side, the pocket that you had it, had it on, left or right, de- determined whether you were looking for um, to, to be the um, to be the more active or passive, I don't like those terms, more top or bottom in that, in that situation. Uh, brown meant that you were looking for... Um, uh, scat, uh, there's uh, different colours for oral sex or for fisting or for uh, for etc, etc, etc. And so the video is sort of looking at this and what it basically is doing is um, showing people who have these particular hankies, um, got, it's got little lines with text about it, about the, about the, about the code and what it all means. Um, and then as it goes on, it sort of starts off quite lighthearted. And then as it goes on, it gets more and more sexually explicit where you have got, uh, there is uh, so... Um, uh, uh, Brendan said in in this article that they hired porn stars. Um, there is uh, one scene, one one fisting scene, for example, which is not just a sort of you know, uh, you know, let's just make it make the camera look funny, so it looks like there's fisting. There's actual fisting going on. There's actual oral sex going on. There's actual anal sex going on. Um, and I think at the end there's actual scat going on as well. Um, yep. So the, the I mean, it's kind of worth uh, describing specifically the the final shot of the video, which is. This kind of like, I, I was kind of watching it sitting at my at my desk uh, at work. Funnily enough, because you know I work for a queer organisation, so it was there were people watching worse things at their computers. Um, and the the final shot of the video is is Brendan, the the musician, uh, lying on the ground and looking at the camera, um, and and you just see like an like an ass descend over his face and like. It, the final thing in the video is basically someone shitting on his face 
um, and it, it, it's kind of ramped up to this over over the, the course of the video as each kind of sex act depicted gets more and more extreme. It's also worth saying, worth saying that um, Gay Semiotics was a was an essay um, yes. by Hal Fisher from 1977, so that's kind of what the... Which, what which Brendan the... said was the inspiration for the video. Yes, um, yes, that's and correct. and yeah. I think it's just I I really like the um, the start of Brendan's article because um, he talks about that particular scene of of being shat on. Um, uh, he doesn't talk about it exclusively. The, the article, which we'll put in the show notes, um, it, it, he starts off with the as the shimmering lube smeared bottom descended over my face while the cameras rolled. One question ran through my mind: not have I taken this music video too far, but instead have I taken this far enough? I don't know. I'm not sure how much further he probably could have taken it in that context, but um, you know, I think sure. <laughs> it would have been an interesting attempt to, to to go even further. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's maybe it's kind of worth now talking about what some of the negative responses to it have been. So the positive responses, I, I would say, you know, I, I really like the video, I, and I and I think um, my thoughts about it have probably been pretty widely reflected in responses to it, which is. Um, you know, I like how boundary pushing it is, and and uh, I like that it that it has that kind of odd tone of both lighthearted and silly, whilst also being really sexually explicit. And we'll probably get into a, a bit more about the sort of the political implications of that later on in the discussion. But um, have you seen some of the more negative reactions? To no, it, I really haven't. To be honest, I've um, so, oh, well, since you brought it to me, I just haven't had the time to to to. To, I've been too busy doing other stuff to be able to dive in and have a look. So I'm gonna look. I, mean, I, 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 can, troll, I can probably trolling guess the internet it for like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and tro- trolling the internet for um, negative responses to queer content is, I don't think anyone's idea idea of a good time. So that's understandable. Oh, it can be fun sometimes uh, to look at what people <laughs> sure hate reading. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so they... you go. Sorry, I go think ahead. I think it would be good. You, you go because you've probably seen more of it than I have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that so there are kind of they broadly fall into two categories. Um, there, there are the predictable ones from sort of pearl clutching, uh, won't somebody think of the children type people. Like it's on, the, the video is on YouTube, which is, ast- which is astonishing to me. Not that he put it on YouTube because why wouldn't you do that? But the fact that it's still, still there. there, at least as of recording, um, is is great. Uh, it's got a, like hundreds of thousands of views. Um, and... You know, YouTube is notoriously the kind of like asshole of the internet, um, and and in this case, comments. literally. Well, yes, indeed. Or I should say, the comment threads on YouTube, um, uh, are, like, are just notoriously horrible. But there's just lots of you know, like, predictably gross homophobic stuff. So there's all that kind of stuff. Um, but the more interesting reactions, I think. I mean, that that's interesting as well. I think in its own way, but the more interesting reactions to me are the ones from gay men. And there have been quite a lot of them that basically go along the lines of, um, this video doesn't represent me. I don't see how this can be called a really gay video. Like it's this really specific thing or it's this really, um, they might say it's a really kind of gross thing. And like how essentially the vibe is, how dare you associate me with this mm. by like by like in, implication i guess um and so there's a lot of that there's a lot of that sort of thing which to me is just like textbook respectability it is politics. it is i think it's interesting in a couple of ways um 
The first is the assumption that because it's a gay thing or a gay thing, you know, like what you know, it's you know, she talks about it being gay semiotic. So there's a sort of gay label to it. There's the assumption automatically that it has to uh, that it has to represent all that, that it automatically represents all of the gay community, whatever that is. You know, we've had those conversations in the past, um, but I think that that is interesting, and it goes. Um, to a lot of respectability politics that say if you're sexually explicit we're going to attack you for not representing the entire community and when that occurs in the in the in the in the opposite when someone will say well this represents part of my community that's sort of it's 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 ignored or it's often or when you know when we talk about marriage equality for example which is one of the, the examples we've brought up uh when when i say things like that doesn't uh re- represent that doesn't represent the part of the queer community that I'm part of or the part that I really want to be part of. People, you know, people will come back automatically and say, well, you know, that's okay, but we've got to have, you know, this is, it's important for lots of people, gay people, so what, you know, stop making your complaints. Um, So Mm. a lot of respectability politics is often, I find that often works in that kind of way um, in that... I mean, that's kind of an interesting uh, comparison too because on the surface of it, you could kind of say, what's the difference between... Uh, you say you looking at a marriage mm. quality video and saying that doesn't represent me, uh, and and um, someone doing the same thing looking at something like uh, the the House of Air video, and I would say that the difference there is that one of them is sort of explicitly claiming to represent yeah. um, all all gay people, and, and one of them is not. Um, uh, the whole kind of marketing for the marriage equality movement has really. I would say very much been rooted in um, the idea of uh, presenting not just a vision of queers that want to get married, but a vision of who like queers, queers as a whole of being exactly who queers are and that who they are is someone that is safe yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and socially acceptable. Well, and that's, and that's actually been essential to marriage equality, to the acceptance of marriage equality, to, to allow access to that institution. We have had to present ourselves as safe and as acceptable to the rest of the community, um, to the rest of the broader community. Um, and, and that means that marriage equality has had to create a picture of everybody being like that. Um, and has actively had to actively, sort of push out the people or or reject the people who don't act in that particular kind of way, which is, a, you know, which is respectability politics epitomised. Um, I think that you're right in the, the difference between that and what Brendan is doing is that Brendan has said this is, this is about a particular um, subculture, a gay subculture uh, around se- semiotics. One that absolutely exists. But it absolutely exists, yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, but it's you know it's it's not it's he's, I don't think he's trying to represent everybody who is who identifies no, no. as some sort of queer, um, and I think that that's important and I think it's valuable and really important to talk about this particular subculture and I think it's it's a thing that, um, you know it's interesting and it's it's a part of a part of people's lives and it's 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 a it's 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 a real thing that's out there that exists and 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 I like that he's he's tackled it in this kind of way. Beyond the, that sort of anthropological uh, bent, you know, kind of saying saying that this is a thing that's real and, and exists and it's important to represent the diversity of the queer community, I feel like there's something um, almost more interesting here that uh, it's not just about representing a part of the community that doesn't usually get seen but or, or a part of a lot of people's lives that doesn't usually get seen, although I think that that's true. Um, there is, I think, some value in explicitly setting out to shock people and to 
um, be a, a, I mean, uh, I, I don't know if, if Brendan himself would, would use this word, but almost antagonistic, you know, in, in, in really kind of putting this in people's faces and, and saying this is something that happens and, you know, there is some value perhaps in you being confronted by this. Yeah, I think that's an interesting an interesting point. I think he um he talks about, for example, the um you know, the the, the, the pushing of the boundaries around around art, uh, around how queer art can push boundaries and how this sort of sexually explicit approach has the the capacity to do that. I'm intrigued about um I'm I'm intrigued about the political value of it. I think it's valuable as art and I'm not gonna um, and I think that I think it's great, and I, I love the video, and I think it's excellent, um, and it's valuable as art. I mean, but I, I think it's worth diving into whether this sort of shock value stuff has political value as well. Um, I think my my tendency is is to say yes, based on you know that pushing those boundaries in this kind of way allows us to push boundaries in other kinds of ways as well. Um, so in this instance, it really is talking, you know, talking explicitly about sex sort of pushes the, you know, forces you to open your eyes about the particular types of sex that gay people have. And one of the things about respectability politics, in particular, the marriage equality campaign has been the complete um, erasure, I think, of sex from the queer narrative um so it's not about sex it's not about who who we fuck anymore um it's about who we who we love um in that sense and the 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 erasure of sex is is um it's it's ongoing and it's it's a thing that that really frustrates me because for me being queer is about who i want to who who you know who who you're sexually attracted to you know i can love whoever i want but you know the 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 integral part of of queerness in many ways is 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 sex and fucking um and we don't talk about that we don't talk about the different types of sex we don't talk about the the way that we can have sex how and most importantly we don't talk about how great sex can be and how much fun it can be totally um, totally and it's it's funny to reflect on the fact that we often also don't talk about it on this podcast um, not that I feel like we actively mm. avoid it, but uh, yeah, I think it's it's interesting that we don't. Even even that we had to give a little warning about being sexually explicit, which in and of itself is 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 um, telling, I guess. Uh, it's I, this is maybe a bit of a tangent, but I'm so fascinated by the fact that you said it's not even about who we love; it's about who we're sexually attracted to. And you know, we we did we did an episode early on in the podcast about uh, that idea that primacy of kind of love and romance to to queer political movements, and that to me is is, is still a really interesting topic. And I think uh, to look again, I mean, you know, I don't want to keep coming back again and again to the marriage equality movement, but it is so useful uh, that it's been so framed around love and and the idea that we the basis of our us deserving a given, say, like political right, is who we love, uh, and and to me that's that's bizarre. Like it's a, a kind of weird illusion of of sex completely. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that I mean it makes sense in many ways, and that love is oh, it's you know it's it's got that uh, obviously that sort of romantic ideal or that. Um, that ideal, you know, it's something that, you know, that people say it crosses boundaries and love love conquers all and all that sort of got, we've got this really, it's ingrained in our social consciousness of being such an important 
um, an important uh, value and an emotion to be able to feel. Um, and so I can understand how a marriage equality movement sort of t- tapped into love as, as a way of dealing with this. But in turn, it becomes, it has become a very, um, a sort of respectable way of dealing with this issue. So we can ignore the icky stuff around sex that a lot of conservatives in particular don't want to talk about and don't want to deal mm. with. Um, and we can um, picture ourselves, we can frame ourselves as these people who just sort of, uh, who love each other like everybody else loves each other. So we, you know, and, and that, that means that we love each other monogamously and we love each other with vanilla sex, even though we don't talk about it. And we, we love each other in that sort of, um, you know, in the, in, in the, the video that happened that, um, get up released years ago, the, the it's time video, I think it was, um, you know, the one that yep. has the very yeah. linear version of, of a relationship. Um, and that's, that's what it's all about. It's not about, you know, and again, in that, in that version, there was no fucking there was no sex there was nothing well that... there wasn't even any homosexuality the, the, yeah. the fact that they were gay was the the twist ending yeah absolutely uh, which yeah. is why that video is so kind of awful it's <laughs> uh, one of the reasons why that video is so awful oh yeah God. yeah um, um, no i was gonna say something just on your point about uh that thing being love being a way of saying we are just like everyone else i think what's great also about brandon's video is the reminder that I mean, may, maybe that's true. What I mean, love is such a kind of shitty, like nothing concept. I think in a lot of ways, um, but uh, it's important to be reminded that we, a lot of us, don't fuck like everyone else does, mm. um, and and that's that kind of. It's such a stark reminder of difference of the fact that we are other, uh, and you know, as we've talked about before, before the fact that we have to come out, for example, is is evidence of that, and trying to pretend that that's not true. Um, when it just is, uh, is, um, is dangerous, I think. Yeah, and I think that this is, this goes down. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the super light tree runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's a l l b i r d s.com code SUPER24. On the track of what I really hate about respectability politics, um, and that I think that respectability politics is a very negative approach to dealing with uh, to, to dealing with um, rights uh, campaigns for rights, and that what it does is it uh, is it attempts to to get rid of our differences and say that differences that we have as a community, you know, and 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 historically that we've had, we don't like, we don't want them anymore. Um, they're actually really negative to us, to us, um, and that we must get rid of them. Um, and I think that it has a really negative approach on on us as a community and 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 the way that we have sex. So, you know, if you understand. 
you know, a lot of the ways that, you know, if we talk specifically about how we how we have sex differently, for example, how queer people might have sex differently than, than other people, part of that is, you know, just because of the, the, the biological realities of, you know, queer, queer sex being different to straight sex at times. Part of that is also, however, due to a histories of, of queer communities and queer, queer oppression that has created different subcultures, that has created the requirements, um, for example, for a hanky code, one that is really subtle and, and is not overt as it could have been if you were heterosexual um you know but there's a whole lot of history to a community that we can't just disavow um and some of that history is built in trauma some of that history is built in the recognition acceptance of being different um and and embracing that to create these amazing things that we have created that queers create have created over the past you know 100 you know a couple of hundred of years when you know when communities have come out in this sort of way Mm. um and I feel like respectability politics doesn't value that history in any way. It's, it tries to disavow that history completely and says, you know, get rid of it because we just want to go back. You know, we want to go to that space, you know, get rid of all of that things, all those things that have made us different um, and, and, you know, and make us just like, you know, make it, make it like our history was just the same as a straight person's history, you know, the history of straight people. Um, well, there's a, there's a, I think there's a really interesting idea there that, uh, we, we've talked a bit before about the way that identity politics kind of divorces the idea of a kind of essential, like, gay identity, for example, from, uh, from culture and from history. And so I think there's kind of an interesting question about, like, how much in, in the age of identity politics, um, you know, that is, we, we are living in it, whether we, whether we want to be or not, uh, how much do queers owe to a connection to that legacy and i feel like the a way of kind of getting it that i feel like we've kind of skipped something i feel like we've missed something here because we've jumped straight into kind of everything we don't like about (laughs) politics which is easy to do because it's awful uh i think is to go back to those responses to brendan's video and you know just as an example but really you could use um any anything like this that that comes up um and try to think about why, like why, like why do people have these really negative reactions? Try, kind of try to try to imagine from the perspective of you know Joe Gabo on <laughs> Twitter, who's who's watched the video and gone, "This doesn't represent me. I'm disgusted by this." Where does that where does that reaction come from? Well, like uh, I think there's potential multiple places that could come from. Um, I think that part of it comes potentially from from histories of homophobia and and response mechanisms as a way to deal with homophobia, um, and being this, homophobia. Yeah, being you know, but yeah, but you know, being those homoph- mechanisms essentially being homophobia. Yeah, in many ways. Yeah, you're right. But a lot of it is very, um, you know, that sort of idea that we are attacked because of difference, so therefore we should eschew difference. Um, or we should we should hide from it as a way to to, to protect ourselves. Um, and I can understand that in a sense of you know trying to protect yourself as an individual at that particular point of time. I think part of it also comes up from the fact that people are different, and that some people grow up um, in in communities or in families that don't uh, have as sexually open a world. And just because you're gay doesn't mean that you automatically will then jump into the um, the sorts of 
sexual things that Brendan's video talks about, and that's fine. Sure. I feel like not many gay men come out and a week later they're getting fisted. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's fine, and that's not that's not like a, a, a criticism of those people. Um, but I can see how I can see at least how they wouldn't be able to connect to something like this. Um, I, I think that there's an extra step of going, I don't connect to this, and therefore you should stop doing it. Um, and I think that's the extra step that I that I disagree with and I don't like. But I can see how people at least won't connect with it. And just because you're you identify as gay doesn't mean you identify with all of these sorts of practices. Um, of course, of course. But I guess that that kind of uh, argument that it shouldn't exist or that it shouldn't be done or or it should be done kind of shamefully or, or secretly is is. That it's that extra step that I that I think is mm. interesting, and I you know I guess my read you know to the, the extent to which you you can ascribe these sorts of motivations to people uh, is it's it, it, it's a it's based in a fear of being um, reject it's a fear of rejection essentially by society that you know queer people for very good reasons fear that rejection anyway um, often based in very specific experience of that. Uh, but, you know, given our dominant political framework, and I, you know, I think this is a big problem that this is the case, but it is nonetheless the case, is one of acceptance, is one of inclusion within existing social structures, and marriage is a, a really good example of that. I think that anything that is seen to undermine the kind of, you know, respectability of, uh, queer people is seen as a kind of threat to that political project. And and that's obviously a kind of maybe complex idea to ascribe to someone in that moment. But I, I think that that's, that is what's going on in the background. And I, you, you see that sometimes explicitly. I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but we, something that uh, I, I did at my, so I, I worked for a, for a uh, sexual health organization um, and, and LGBTI health organization. And we, uh, every year we do this big survey of kind of the sex and sexual health and, uh, drug use of gay and bisexual men. And the, so, so that's been going on for a long time. And we, we release the, the data every year and it happens across Australia. Um, and it, it's always really, really fascinating. And last year, uh, I kind of, drove this um i really wanted to do something quite interesting with with the with the data and yep. with the results and just because some some of it's so great i mean there's stuff like uh one of the most interesting findings uh, i thought was this uh the fact that the most common um open relationships were the most common type of relationship yes i that, remember this now yeah it's taken yeah, me a yeah. minute to click totally totally so so that was really fascinating obviously you know all the caveats here it's a, it's a survey it's self-selected so that's that obviously has an impact on um the the outcomes that you get uh but still a kind of fascinating i think even despite all of that still a fascinating thing and so we we put out we did a bunch of media uh, around some of these results and the reaction was really intense uh very often very negative and there were people there were marriage equality advocates um, some, some, I would say that the, probably the most high profile marriage equality activist in the country, a guy named Rodney Croom, took to social media to say, to just absolutely attack these findings and explicitly say, uh, 
Mm, I don't, I don't want to kind of misquote him here because I can't remember exactly what he said, but essentially saying, um, how dare you kind of undermine our fight for marriage equality by saying that this is representative of gay men. It's not. He attacked the methodology of the study. Um, and, and I guess more importantly, just said, it is damaging for you to even say this, for you to even say that gay men are uh, in open relationships, are, you know, doing X, Y, Z. Um, and I mean, that's like... Mm, I remember this. It was really, it was really strong and really, really angered me. Um, totally. And it's, I feel like it's rare that you see respectable, respectability politics play out in such an explicit way where it is somebody literally saying this is undermining our political project of inclusion and equality. Yeah, so I can I can relate to that as well. I think, you know, if we're going to... Let's just tell one more story. So, um, as probably most of our listeners know, I am um, in a polyamorous relationship uh, and have written about that... Um, publicly a number of times uh, the first time a couple of years ago now around about um, and in the times that I've written about that I often will post there's a, a few like uh, gay Facebook groups and stuff that I, I'm a member of that sort of post articles and links and stuff like that and uh, I've often posted articles I write there or I've seen people post articles that I, that I write there or articles about polyamory and what's the most interesting reaction I've ever had and I've, I've commented this publicly that 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 the people who i've received the most stronger the the most negative reaction I've, I've been largely accepted by family and friends um but the people i receive stronger negative reactions from are gay men in particular um and largely it is exactly the same argument i've had people say you should not talk about this until we've won marriage equality because every time you talk about this you undermine marriage equality um how dare you even speak publicly about this um you should, oh you, should God, you know so you can you can awful. you know literally people who are saying you can talk about this after we've won marriage equality but please be quiet now and it, it, it enrages me because if you were to dare, dare say to a gay man, don't talk about your relationship, you know, your monogamous relationship because it's um, undermining, you know, because of any reason, any reason at all, you would rightfully be attacked for being homophobic, you would rightfully be attacked for, um, for you know, silencing them, for making it so that they can't be proud about who they are, etc., etc., etc. But they, there's this a respectability politics that's tied in with a particular with particular campaigns that mean that they you don't just have the the right the, to it's people who aren't just you know feeling like well that doesn't connect with me, but mostly but also saying well you know you don't actually even have the right to engage in this conversation because you are undermining me somehow you talking about your relationship undermines my relationship which is the very thing that marriage the people who are against marriage equality have been saying for a long time that you know you know this undermines straight relationships and we've rightfully attacked that but we then turn around and use the same stuff against people who don't fit our, our the, you know who don't fit the, the marriage equality mold or the respectable mold that we like um, and this is the thing that's really angered me about marriage equality for a long time not the not the not the content necessarily not you know Pass the pass the bloody marriage equality law. The thing that angers me is is a is a is a language that has ended up evolving to actually in many ways be very very similar to the language that was used initially against marriage equality campaigns, but just targeted at a different you know minority group. Um, in in you know in your case, people in open relationships, you know, but people who want to have you know who talk who want to talk explicitly about sex, people in polyamorous relationships. A lot of the language is very, very similar to what was used against marriage equality um, many years ago, or still is used against marriage equality. 
Mm. And I would argue that, uh, you know, I, w- I would go beyond... I feel like it's tempting to say that there is a separation between the issue itself being access to an institution like marriage and the tactics used in the campaign. And we can, you know, I certainly am often tempted to kind of sit there and go, I have no problem with marriage. I have no problem with marriage equality, with marriage equality as a kind of goal. Although, God, I even hate the term marriage equality. I feel like whenever <laughs> I'm like talking about it uh, derisively, I, I specifically use gay marriage. Um, but for, for hopefully obvious reasons um you could i feel like it's pretty easy to make the argument that it's it's actually an inevitable outcome of fighting for this issue at all i I would argue it is thing to say i would argue it is and i think that um and i think that what's interesting is that particularly in australia given how long it's taking for this to occur i think you're seeing this sort of long-term inevitable outcome of fighting for this issue because the argument gets sort of refined more and more and more as we as as sort of the political obstruction continues on and on and on and so you get the sort of really vile reactions you get you got towards you know this video for example or what you got to um to to the media that you were doing last year where you know people are are literally um attacking people for being in consensual relationships that they're happy in um mm. and saying that that doesn't you know that's that's something we shouldn't be talking about or we should refuse to talk about and totally. that's you know that is the inevitable outcome of this in a, in a sort of long-term play kind of way sure i mean i think the the other issue it brings up and this is something we've touched on a little but um i mean even in the last episode we did although although didn't get into it to a significant degree uh is internalized homophobia and that there, it's it's kind of worth saying again and again and again, and we don't say it enough um, that there is a lot of homophobia in in queer communities. A lot, like a lot, like a lot of it, mm. you know. And I feel like I almost don't want to say internalized homophobia because that that's become such a loaded term. I mean, often it's externalized. I mean, the stuff that we're talking about is 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 just straight up homophobia. Yeah. Uh, and and that's something I think we could do a better job. Uh, I mean, you know, we being I don't know who are queers um, of just saying uh, there is a lot of homophobia out there. On some level, maybe that's about um, calling it out, though. That's kind of a limited strategy. I think it's also about just creating a space where people are allowed to acknowledge the existence of homophobia in. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this is... uh, Last week, we talked about a lot about internalised homophobia. Um, And and going on to this, what we can see is that externalised version of that. And I think that recognising a lot of respectability politics as externalised homophobia, as um, queers attacking other queers for the things that they do um, in consensual manners, um, is externalised homophobia. It's homophobia. homophobia. I mean, again, I almost almost don't like that kind of internalised-externalised distinction because it's like... It's kind of all the same shit, I think. Like, I, I would rather just, I would rather just call it homophobia. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That's fair. I mean, I think that's fair, and I think it's an interesting distinction that maybe we don't have time to <laughs> to really dive into yeah, today. Yeah, but, I, but I'd like, to, I'd like to think about that more because I think it's, it is worthwhile. We talk about internalized homophobia a lot, but it is worthwhile thinking about whether that term is actually just useless because you think about that as a thing that you know makes you hate yourself, but doesn't actually get projected out to other people. But what we're talking about here is is homophobia that's being projected onto other people um in many in different forms um and 
But I think most interestingly about that is, though, is that it's also homophobia that is getting legitimized through particular campaigns that are acting against homophobia, if that makes sense, which is... At least officially. At least yeah. officially against homophobia. So, and that's, I think, the, the, the fascinating part about this is that it is the, it's, it's a legitimization of, of particular homo, of homophobia, of, uh, of homophobia through equal rights campaigns. And that's, that's I guess, the, the really challenging part of this is that if, if we see a lot of respectability politics as homophobia, then what you're actually saying is that a lot of the civil rights campaigns that queers have fought are for are homophobic. And that's yep. kind yeah. of, that's, that's a thing that I hadn't thought of until right now. And that's a, like a bit of a, a mind shift and something that's worth, worth thinking uh, about. That. That's great. I mean, it's awful, but you know, it's, it's such a great idea. Um, we, we, we should probably wrap I reckon that's a good up, place to wrap, uh, wrap up because I'm going to have to go, and back, go back and deal with that. The, the only, I just wanted to ask one more question briefly that we sort of touched on at the start and I, I did want to come back to is uh, that question again of, of whether really kind of um, shocking or explicit content like uh, Brendan McLean's video is an effective uh, weapon against against respectability politics i mean and i suppose you know i would say i would say that it is partly because it, it brings it out into the open and and really gets people to actually articulate these shitty ideas that bubble along under the surface of campaigns like the marriage equality or often on the surface of the marriage equality campaign and i think that the more that we're talking openly about this stuff the more opportunities we have to challenge it and say that it's bad um, so I think it, it absolutely has value in that in that respect, um, and also obviously as just a way to normalize. Um, I mean, normalize is a crappy word as well, but I guess um, highlight our otherness and and make people maybe feel a bit better about um, about difference. Yeah, look, I think it is an effective tool. I think it's a, an effective tool. I don't think it could be the only tool. Um, sure. but I think it definitely is. I mean, the very fact that this leads to this sort of debate is often valuable, um, in that it opens up the question, um, a lot more than a, you know, Australian marriage equality video that, you know, just talks about how, how much we love each other, you know, um, video does, I think. Um, and I think that in, even you know, just say uh, you know, just say imagine the debates you know the discussions you and I are having, but probably probably more heated in many places around Australia following this video. I think that 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 is valuable in just in, in allowing people to express different views and ex- express different understandings of of what being queer means and and gives space for that. And I think that's valuable in and of itself. Um, and yes, I think the other thing that it does is it. Um, Normalizing is really a bad word because it's not right, but it 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 does um, open space for the discussion of these sorts of sexual acts and these sorts of you know this uh, sorts of the hanky code and all of this stuff that that previously existed and it continues continues to exist um, and allows um, queers who may not be aware of that to be able to be like, hey, that's a thing, you know that 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 is interesting and that I might want to explore more or I might want to engage in, and I'm totally pro that hmm. well that is that's it for us today i think uh thank you as always for listening and we will be back with another episode in a couple of weeks in the meantime you can catch us on queers.podomatic.com or subscribe to us on itunes and as always please leave a review and rating which helps other people find us it's not just for our vanity 
we have had a few really um, lovely reviews recently on iTunes, so so keep those up. It's very much appreciated. Mm, it is. Uh, in the meantime, remember that we have our new email address, so you can email us at queerspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can, as always, find us on Twitter. I'm at Ben C. Riley. And I'm at Simon Copland. And I'm also on Facebook at Simon Copland Writer. We'll see you all next time. Looking forward to it. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.